I'm on right now. I don't believe you. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. You really are crazy. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Me? No, come on. Don't be crazy. Hello, everyone. Have y'all ever questioned if La La Land deserved to be nominated for Best Picture? Or debated if Quentin Tarantino is actually overrated? Or, perhaps, challenge others by asking, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Here on the Don't Be Crazy Movie Podcast, we ask these questions and more with the help of fellow film enthusiasts. Who's we? Well, I'm Zach Rancourt, and with me today is special guest Amanda J. Stern. We might not be certified film critics or have our own column in The New Yorker, but the only thing we love more than cinema is talking about it. So, Amanda, thank you so much for being back on the show. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's fun to be back. Heck yeah. We had we had an excellent episode during uh, Spooktober for The Haunting. It was a whole lot of fun, even though that movie uh, left more to be desired. But that's okay, you know. It um, it introduced me to that whole world of, of The Haunting uh, cinematic universe, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but anyways, for, for the listeners who are just tuning in to this one who maybe don't like Spooktober, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, yeah, just uh, what do you got working on? Yeah, I am a New York City-based actor, writer, producer. I have a feature film that we just wrapped post-production on called Perfectly Good Moment. It's a two-character erotic thriller. We are submitting it to festivals and hopefully we'll start getting in soon because I'm really excited to get to show it to people. Um, I actually am a film critic. <laughs> Damn, well, uh, <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> but specifically, I wrote a film criticism column about LGBT cinema um, with a focus on films with romantic, happy endings. So it was kind of a retrospective, but it is Rotten Tomatoes approved. <laughs> oh, wow. Look at you. Look at you. Um, and then I also write for a company called Provoker. It's on hiatus right now, but that is a media site kind of dedicated to all things provocative. So I focus on specifically provocative film content and intimacy on screen. And I have a column there called Anatomy of a Sex Scene where I discuss sex scenes in films and which ones are filmed well. And I, I don't mean well in the sense that it's sexy to look at or it's not sexy to look at, but the behind the scenes of what work was put into making this a positive experience for the actors where their boundaries were respected or have they talked about how they felt traumatized after. Oh, totally. That's great. And that actually will tie in very well to the conversation we're going to have today, because yes. <laughs> there's a there's a whole lot of masculine sexual energy and whatnot thriving throughout this film. And that is The Silence of the Lambs from 1991. The film was directed by Jonathan Demme, who also did Philadelphia and Rachel Getting Married. It was written by Ted Talley uh, for the screenplay, uh, and it was based on the book written by Thomas Harris. The film stars Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins, Scott Glenn, Ted Levine, Brooke Smith, Cassie Lemons, and Anthony Heal. Critical reception on IMDb is fantastic. It's an 8.6 out of 10. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it is a 95% for the tomato meter and a 95% for the audience score. I watched it on Amazon Prime. I thought I owned it, but apparently I don't. Uh, did you also watch it on Prime? I did, and I also think I own a copy, and it's not in my Brooklyn apartment. I think it's at my in-laws. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, but I, 
I distinctly remember buying a copy at a very strange, sketchy store that still had DVDs somewhere near Union Square about 10 years ago. That sounds like a Twilight Zone episode. It really like does. <laughs> the, the, the monkey paw thing. So, geez, crazy stuff. Yeah, I'm sure I have it somewhere. I don't know exactly. I think I have my 500-page my DVD booklet somewhere that has all my DVDs in it. And uh, it's probably buried in there somewhere. So this is clearly a rewatch for both of us. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen this a bunch. Um, it's been years, though, since I've watched it last, actually. Uh, I really, really enjoy the hell out of this movie. And so it was it was fun to discuss it. And I, I have so many questions uh, because I am a guy and I can perceive things one way. And obviously, Jodie Foster is a woman and so are you. And so I, I am very excited to get your perspective on this. I'm also a very short woman, so when it's made Ooh. very clear how, how tiny she is, there's a lot in the framing that when I watch, I just go, yeah, I, I feel that <laughs> <laughs> so deeply. Trying to get those jars on the top of the shelf, huh? It's a pain in the ass. I can't Which even do the, that. All the camera <laughs> angles of the men looking down on her, and they're mm -hmm. really looking down. And then when you flip back, and it's her looking all the way up, and that's I mean, you know, that's how I walk through life, literally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the budget for the film was $19 million. Uh, in Canada and the U.S., it grossed $130.7 million. Opening weekend, which was February February 18th, 1991, it grossed $13.7 And then worldwide, it did $272.7 million. So pretty successful. So in preparation for his role, Sir Anthony Hopkins studied files of serial killers. Also, he visited prisons and studied convicted murderers and was present during some court hearings concerning gruesome murderers and serial killings. That is method acting, and that is that is scary. Um, when characters are talking to Starling, they often talk directly to the camera, like you were saying. When she is talking to them, she is always looking slightly off camera. Director Jonathan Demme has explained that this was done so as the audience would directly experience her point of view, or POV, but not theirs. Hence, encouraging the audience to, to more readily identify with her, which I think is brilliant. The production received full cooperation from the FBI as they saw it as a potential recruiting tool to hire more female agents. And that is really interesting. It's kind of like how Top Gun got a bunch of people to join the Navy. So I don't know, something like that. They need to make a Burger King movie and everyone will want to work at Burger King. In Good the burger. <laughs> Good burger. There you go. Yeah. In the FBI uh, Academy training exercise scene, Clarice Starling forgets to check behind her after entering a room and an instructor behind her puts a gun to her head and kills her. At the climax, when Buffalo Bill sneaks up behind her in the dark and cocks his Colt Python, she hears the sound, turns and shoots him to death. So callbacks like the callbacks. All right, so in 1990, Clarice Starling is pulled from her FBI training at the Quantico, Quantico Virginia FBI Academy by Jack Crawford of the Bureau's Behavioral Science Unit. He assigns her to interview Hannibal Lecter, a former psychiatrist and incarcerated cannibalistic serial killer. Crawford believes Lecter's insight could prove useful in the pursuit of a psychopath serial killer named Buffalo Bill, who kills young women and removes their skin from their bodies. At the Baltimore State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, Dr. Frederick Shilton makes a crude pass at Starling before he escorts her to Lecter's cell. Although initially pleasant and courteous, Lecter grows impatient with Starling's interviewing and rebuffs her. As she is leaving, a prisoner named Miggs flicks semen at her. Lecter, who considers this an unspeakable ugly act, calls Starling back and tells her to seek out his old patient. 
This leads her to a storage facility where she discovers a jar containing a man's severed head. She returns to Lecter, who says the man is linked to Buffalo Bill. He offers to profile Buffalo Bill on the condition he be transferred away from Chilton, uh, whom he detests. Another Buffalo Bill victim is found with a death's head moth lodged in her throat. Buffalo Bill abducts Catherine Martin, the daughter of a U.S. senator. Crawford authorizes Starling to offer Lecter a fake deal, promising a prison transfer if he provides information that helps the capture uh, of Buffalo Bill and rescue Catherine. Instead, Lecter demands a quid pro quo from Starling, offering clues about Buffalo Bill in exchange for personal information. Starling tells Lecter about her father's murder when she was 10 years old. Chilton secretly records a conversation and reveals Starling's deceit to Lecter before offering him a different deal. Lecter agrees and is flown to Memphis, where he meets and torments Senator Martin, then gives her false information on Buffalo Bill, including that his name is Lewis Friend. Starling figures out that Lewis Friend is in an anagram of iron sulfide, fool's gold. She visits Lecter, who is now imprisoned in a cell in, tennis, in a Tennessee courthouse, and requests the truth. Lecter says all the information she needs is contained in the Buffalo Bill case file, then insists on continuing their quid pro quo. She, rec she recounts a traumatic childhood incident of hearing spring lambs being slaughtered on a relative's Montana farm. Lecter speculates that Starling hopes that saving Catherine will end the recurring nightmare she has of lambs screaming. S uh, silencing the lambs. Lecter returns the Buffalo Bill case files to Starling as Shilton arrives and has the police escort her from the building. Later that evening, Lecter kills his guards, escapes from his cell, and disappears. Starling analyzes Lecter's file annotations and figures out that Buffalo Bill knew his first victim, Frederica Bimmel. Starling travels to her Ohio hometown and discovers that Bimmel and Buffalo Bill were tailors. At Frederica's home, she notices unfinished dresses and dress patterns identical to the patches of the skin removed from the victims. She phones Crawford and says, Buffalo Bill is making a suit with human skin. Crawford is already en route to make an arrest, having cross-referenced Lecter's notes with the hospital archives and finding a man named James Gum, who believes he is a transsexual but was deemed too insane to apply for a sex change operation. Starling continues interviewing Frederica's friends while Crawford and an FBI hostage rescue team storm Gum's address in Illinois, finding the house empty. Meanwhile, Starling goes to interview another person who knew Frederica, uh, at the house, she meets Jack Gordon, but realizes he is gum after spotting a death's head moth flying loose. She pursues him into a cavernous basement and finds Catherine trapped in a dry well. In a dark room, gum stalks Starling with night vision goggles, but reveals himself by cocking his revolver. Starling reacts quickly and shoots gum dead. At the FBI Academy graduation party, Starling receives a phone call from Lecter, who is at a Bimini airport. He assures her that he has no intention of pursuing her and requests that she return the favor, which she says she cannot. Lecter subsequently hangs up the phone because he is having an old friend for dinner. He trails a newly arrived Shilton into the crowd. What an ending. What a film. Such a good ending. So excited to talk about it. Love Anthony Hopkins, uh, his Panama suit and his his hair in that scene. It's pretty crazy stuff. But Is this one of those performances, though, where every other movie you see Anthony Hopkins in, you think about this? Yeah, this is... Um... This is a weird one. Yeah, for sure. So let's just kick it off. Amanda, this film, it's focused on our protagonist, Clarice Starling, wonderfully portrayed uh, through Jodie Foster's amazing acting skills. She's a legend. I just, I love everything she's in. Contact, Panic Room, The Accused. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Um, but for this movie, Silence of the Lambs, it opens with a scene of her struggling alone. So she's, she's working out. She's wearing sweat. She's literally physically exerted and climbing up a hill, a rope with no one else in sight. 
She's going through these obstacles. And then we're shown the embodiment of her physical size restrictions in a seemingly masculine dominated FBI. Um, there are nothing but men at this FBI. There are maybe a handful of women. And when she is covered in sweat, she needs to go see uh, Jack Crawford. She enters an elevator and all these various men wearing the same red outfits are just towering over her, staring down at her. She doesn't even bat an eye. Uh, we're then shown her inter interaction with Jack Crawford as he speaks to her in a directive manner. Brilliant, brill, ah, brilliantly. Did I say that right? Brilliantly. <laughs> this is performed through POV close-up shots with actors looking directly at the camera. So there's a shot reverse shot that shows Clarice struggle to make eye contact with Jack, essentially creating a vicarious setting for us, for the viewers, to experience the uncomfortable male gaze. Male gaze is a big theme in this movie. How did you feel about this opening? Oh my God, that's brilliant. But also that, that elevator shot. And as I mentioned uh, at the beginning, I'm 5'2". I don't know how tall Jodie Foster is, but when I watch this movie, in my mind, she is also 5'2". Because she gets in that elevator and it's her surrounded by these men. And you don't even see their faces because it doesn't matter. They're faceless. It's just all of these men and the way that they look at her and sexualize her. And even Jack Crawford. And it's a very... There's a really interesting dynamic there because she also kind of views him in a very fatherly way. You know, it comes up that she lost her dad when she was 10. She wants to join Crawford's behavioral analysis division. So she she sees someone as, as someone she looks up to who's a mentor, who's fatherly. And he does not see her as a daughter. At all. And there's this very strange kind of sexual from one side and then parental from the other push and pull dynamic between the two of them that's always going on and and Hannibal Lecter brings it up when he first meets her that you know what is the relationship between you and Crawford what does he see in you clearly he's attracted to you and I think it's it's so important to start a, a film this way especially a film of this caliber where Clarice is the main character and her her, her gender is important. It's to the forefront of this because if this were a male character in this film, it wouldn't have the same profound effect. She is constantly fighting an uphill battle and she is far more than capable of handling each, each situation she runs into. And she's, you know, obviously very intelligent, very strong. And this is a way to kind of set us up for, for this is Clarice and we're going to be that uncomfortable viewer in her footsteps for, for the entire two hour duration of this film. Um, mm -hmm. And I just and think is, they nail it. It is a movie that actually, you know, I know that it was not written and directed by women, but they really thought about this framing and that uh, just speaking from my own experience obviously i'm not in the fbi i haven't been interviewing. you're not oh shit okay no. cool all right cool so you can't see what i have on my on my browser right now <laughs> i don't go you know interview serial killers on a daily basis but just in her life the way that she goes about it and the way that men come on to her and how she has learned to deal with that and to kind of spin it around especially with dr chilton who is one of the prime, he's disgusting. He's prime disgusting. creep. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, is is how she kind of, she doesn't flirt, but she takes their words and, and kind of spins them back to get what she needs out of an interaction. 
Yeah, she doesn't she doesn't bat an eye. She she knows exactly like if she were to tell him her intentions in the office, he probably wouldn't have given her that that um, courtesy. But mm-hmm. the fact that he kind of she kind of goaded him into doing it, it was so cool. And it's kind of like a if you're going to be a creep, you're going to have this as an answer sort of thing. So and they're also yeah. looking at her as, you know, oh, you're this young. She's probably what, 24, I think. Something so like there's that. yeah, I mean, she's still a trainee. Um. And I think she was only in her 20s when she did this movie. So they're looking at her like, oh, this young girl. Obviously, these men are significantly older than she is. Um, they're all, what, 40s, 50s? Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, perverts licking their lips and stuff <laughs> like that. Especially Chilton. Especially him. <laughs> well, and we see we see throughout the film, without jumping ahead too much, we see throughout the film a ton of uh, other situations where, yeah, Jodie Foster, she's, so to answer your question, she's five foot three, so similar. Okay. Um, so, you know, you as a person of smaller stature would probably have, you can, you can um, uh, basically relate, that's the word I'm trying to say, sorry, brain fart, uh, with, with maybe how sometimes people will look down or mm-hmm. or you're in a crowded subway or a crowded room or something and it's just it it feels that stature's there like when she goes to the elevator i swear those yep. guys are way taller than like 510 they have to be like 63 cuz they look monstro you know yeah, monstrous you don't basically. see their heads it's it's pretty crazy stuff but it's very effective especially since they're all wearing red and she's you know sweaty wearing her gray workout attire um you really get like oh and shit and they're still sexualizing her even in her sweats yeah, yeah. And that scene when her and her friend are, are running and all the guys that are running, you know, they yep. go to look back at them. It's it's not far off. I mean, a film made in the 90s it can can resonate now still. I mean, it's, I, I do believe it has gotten better, but it's, oh, yeah, it's there's yeah, there's definitely that around still. I mean, I can definitely relate to when she's in um, when she brings the moth to those those two oh, scientists yeah. and one of them is is just paying attention to that but the other one takes that as an opportunity to hit on her while they're they're basically doing an autopsy on a moth that was found in a murder victim and yeah. i'm again not an fbi agent haven't been in an autopsy but i have been hit on in very inappropriate situations that are you know work events or just i'm sorry you think this is the time to hit on somebody <laughs> We got to find our openings as guys. <laughs> like, autopsy for a bug. So what you doing later tonight? Yeah. Do you like cheeseburgers and beer? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, and I say it all the time. I'm just like, my, my mom raised me right. I have sisters and stuff. So, I mean, I love women and respect them. And when I go to the gym, I go with a purpose to just work out and mind my own business. And it like drives me bananas when I see certain guys. Cause like there are a handful of guys that I know that I see all the time. And this one dude in particular comes in anytime a, a woman, no matter how she looks, comes in, he like goes and does a workout near her and you see him like try to wipe his sweat, but he just stares at her. It's so uncomfortable for me. And I've thought about saying something, but I'm also kind of like, he's not, he's not hurting anybody, but it's also just a really weird thing for him to do. And I just, I don't like it. But, um, I mean, it's yeah. no, you know what you're don't say something you, you don't want to escalate that. What you can do is try to get between him and whoever, just get as close to him as possible <laughs> yeah. so that he can't say anything because then he'd be calling attention to himself and his own creepiness, but you're also not doing anything. I should go do like uh, toe touches or just some mm-hmm. really deep, deep stretches and just really kind of bend over and get in there nice and nice and deep, like right exactly. in front of him. Just, just 
be a wall between him and whoever he Ugh. wants to stare at. <laughs> it's, That's it's, how you do it. <laughs> it's so weird to me. And like, I mean, even today at the gym, this this gal was wearing like a sports bra and um, yoga pants and it was pretty cold out. I mean, I was wearing like a sweatshirt and shorts and I just keep my I keep my eyes on the ground pretty much and focus on like what I'm working on. But you could see there were a couple guys that were, you know, looking at her as she walked in. I'm like, you do you, boo, but I'm going to I'm just going to work out and leave because that's all I do here. That's that's what the gym is for. For me, it is a fascinating thing. And I want to explore more about that, that uh, POV shot. Uh, it serves a purpose of eliminating a narration because this is based off of a book and the book is told from the narrative perspective of Clarice Starling. Um, it creates a sense of being in Clarice's headspace in, in, in this film aspect. Uh, the men's point of view is shown as either contempt or attraction towards Clarice. So like you said, Dr. Shilton, he's he's staring at her, just that really gross face. Um, or the, both. It's yeah, both contempt and attraction. Exactly. The the contempt of the of the deputies when she says, all right, y'all clear out now. They're all staring at her like, who is this lady? What the hell? Who does she think she is sort of thing? And it's just that that terrible stare that they all have. Um you know, the men in this film, while they're not always overtly misogynistic, they do treat Clarice differently because of her physical stature and her beauty. Uh, men rarely take her seriously. They ask if she needs help opening the garage door, like, hey, my son will come tomorrow. She's like, no, I got a, I got a car jack. I'll, I'm resourceful. I'll figure it out, right? Uh, they hit on her while examining moths, like you were saying, like cheeseburgers and beer. She rolls with it, too, though. She's like, are you hitting on me? Like, it's just she's she's so good at that. And then they question her authority during an investigation when she's saying, y'all clear out. Or Jack is like, hey, we, we can't discuss this in front of her sort of thing. I mean, that's that's pretty hurtful. There are moments in the film, though, and, and you, you touched on this, where she uses this to her advantage. Like when Dr. Shilton takes her all the way to, to Lecter instead of denying her access from his office. Well, I don't think the movie is about how awful men are. What are some ways that you feel men could be better in these situations? Also, was this effective for you in that you could relate to some of the situations she was in? I mean, I, I do kind of think a good bit of this movie is about how awful the men are and how much they kind of get in her way of her doing her job, but also use her because she's a small, pretty woman. You know, that is why Jack sends her to Lecter because she's the, you know, I am imagining that there were no active female agents. So he had to choose from the trainees and he chooses the pretty small white girl. I mean, there were only two women anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Seemed like was, it at least. <laughs> yeah. And she was the one in his class who got a good grade and, and, you know, really kind of talked back to him. Challenged him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, he chooses her descent and, and Hannibal Lecter immediately picks up on it and says, Jack sent you because he thinks you can butter me up because of the way you look. And I don't actually think that's what works on, on Lecter. I think, mm -hmm. I, you know what, actually, I think it does, but kind of counterintuitively, you know, Crawford's idea is that like the way other men react to her mm -hmm. in terms of flirting with her and hitting on her, that's how Lecter will respond but he responds when he sees other men do it and he gets this weird protective, you know, he shuts her down at first mm -hmm. until Miggs jacks off and throws, you know, sperm at her. And then Lecter is, I'll help you. And then he kills Miggs or, you know, causes Miggs to kill himself. So he has this very strange protectiveness 
over Clarice mm-hmm. because of all these men, which is a very odd thing to look at. He's kind of like being a savior in a, in, in mm-hmm. a sense. And I mean, also, and correct me if I'm wrong, but not needed, right? I mean, it's not. Oh, we, yeah, no, she can handle herself. Absolutely. She's more than capable of handling herself. Um, I, I think the dichotomy between them is is so fascinating uh, because they are both intelligent people, uh, you know, albeit maybe Lecter is smarter at certain things and then Clarice is more cunning at other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but a- absolutely. Um, yeah, she knows how to play him, too. Abs- and she does. And she's I mean, with the whole fake, um, yep. you know, plea bargain that the senator gave. That Lecter was hook, line, and sinker ready for that. He's like, okay, that sounds pretty good. And then Shilton had to, to screw it all up. And then he's kind of like, I'm impressed by you, Clarice. Like he just he respected her a little bit more for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it it is it is interesting. I, I I do think out of all the men in the film, Crawford still even talks down to her a little bit. I know that he's more of uh, the superior role, um, and so it's she wants to work for him. And so he's kind of her boss. And I get that. He, I don't think he necessarily always talks down to her though, but Lecter is probably the person out of all the men in the film that she interacts with that actually treats her as Mm -hmm. an equal. They have a back and forth. Yeah. And gives her the credit she needs. I mean, the quid pro quo scene, you know, the power dynamic in this film is, is fascinating. And it's exemplified when we first get to meet Lecter uh, with that entire buildup of of that scene and just him starting out by saying, closer, please, you know, closer. But also notice in the camera angles, she doesn't look up to him. Yeah, right, right. They're never framing him up the way they frame all the other men. It's eye level. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's and it's fascinating. And that's why we get those tight POV close up shots, because it's Lecter looking directly at us and it's Starling looking directly at us. And it's not her looking up or away or anything. She has the control. So at first, Lecter has a power dynamic, but then it shifts and then it's balanced because she can dish it out and take it as much Mm -hmm. as as Lecter can, too. I'm so scared to look inside, but I had to. What did you see, Clarice? What did you see? Lambs. They were screaming. They were slaughtering the spring lambs. And they were screaming. And you ran away? No. First I tried to free them. I I opened the gate to their pen, but they wouldn't run. They just stood there, confused. They wouldn't run. But you could and you did, didn't you? Yes. I took one lamb and I ran away as fast as I could. Where were you going, Clarice? I don't know. I didn't have any food, any water, and it was very cold. Very cold. I thought... I thought if I could save just one, but... He was so heavy. It was so heavy. I didn't get more than a few miles when the sheriff's car picked me up. Rancher was so angry, he sent me to live at the Lutheran Orphanage in Postman. I never saw the ranch again. What became of your lamb, Clarice? I killed him. You still wake up sometimes, don't you? You wake up in the dark and hear the screaming of the lamb. 
Do you think if you save poor Catherine, you could make them stop, don't you? You think if Catherine lives, you won't wake up in the dark ever again to that awful screaming of the lambs? I don't know. That's why I love this film so much is because those two performances are are unreal. Some of the best I've ever seen in, in film. And I just believe everything Clarice does. I'm rooting for her for the entire film. Um, I'm on edge for the entire film. And it's just I'm uneasy the entire movie. <laughs> What's so interesting is because I, I think about I mean, I think about his performance as Lecter a lot. And you realize when you watch this movie, how yeah, it's 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 creepy. It's great. It's also pretty subtle. And then when you watch him in the um, sequel, oh, Hanna- yeah. Hannibal, it's just full camp, and it's yeah. I mean, <laughs> terrible. But it, it loses is such a lot. A, yeah. Yes, it's such a different. Like, yeah, it's a creepy kind of flamboyant performance, but it's still reined in. Right. And it's- Hannibal, the movie is not. I mean, he's in he's in the Silence of the Lambs for about twenty one minutes. Not to- even. Totals. I think it's eighteen or wow. it's like sixteen. And Buffalo Bill has eleven minutes. Oof. Yeah. So it's. I mean, the fact that he's only in it for that, it's it's hard to shift from that to an entire feature length film. That's true. Um, it's too much. <clears throat> but yeah, I, I agree with you. I really liked Red Dragon a lot. Um, I thought that that was different. Um, but I enjoyed it for the most part. I enjoyed part. that one too. Yeah, but it's it's not going to touch. It's it's not going to no. touch the science of the lambs. This movie, I mean, there's a reason why it like swept the Oscars. It's just it's it's worth every penny. And you know, I, I think it it's interesting with the aspect that the, the men take in this because you know I'm a helpful person, and for me. I have been accused of mansplaining. I've been accused of of being overtly helpful or no, dude, I got it. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. That wasn't my intention. My intention was I just I explain everything to everybody, like even my my male friends. It, it, it's it's not in a condescending way or me trying to to gaslight or anything. I just I some things I don't understand. So I like it when people tell me about it. And so I've, I've unfortunately done that before. And then I'm like, oh shit, no, 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 I'm so sorry. You know, and I try to come back. I'm like, that's not what I was trying to do. Um, and so like for the the elderly gentleman who was helping her with the storage unit, she's like, I'll get my son. I think, yeah, I mean, I think he looked at her and was like, oh, you're too, too weak oh, to yeah. lift this up. You tiny little thing. But, but how I at first was perceiving that was, well, he's old, so he's not gonna be able to lift it. And then he's like, well, I mean, I, I can get someone to help, but it'll be tomorrow. I think it's all in how he phrased it. And well, but remember, he also has the driver, the big burly driver who's sitting there in the car like this. Yeah, he doesn't like physical labor. No, exactly. That's really strange. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it was I I thought that scene was interesting, but I'm glad they put it in there, too, because it showed how how resourceful Clarice is. She's like, no, hang on a second. And she goes and gets the car jack. Yeah, it's like, wow, (laughs) didn't even think about that. Holy shit. (laughs) <laughs> using so, your brain using what? your brain um, so i wanted to be a police officer uh, many moons ago so when, when i went to college in my younger years and my one of my uh, thesis papers i wrote was why women are better police officers than men and it's because you can talk to people better than we can 
Um, th- <laughs> think, think of a, a situation where there's a fight or a domestic violence situation. The last thing that a woman would like to see in a DV situation is a male officer. A female officer is a lot better. And the fact if you get two guys or, or whoever fighting at a bar and a and a a woman comes, a police officer comes and she is like, calm down. We're going to be like, OK, yeah cool, cool. You know how to talk to us better than, than men. We'd be like, what's going on here, right? Another man would escalate the situation and exactly. then it would be Exactly. Exactly. And that's why Clarice is so good at this is because she can meet the match of Lecter who is not, not interested in the sexuality of the situation. He is interested in her mind and who she is. And he, he psychoanalyzes her and it gets, gets really in depth, but love it. <laughs> so, so more on that cerebral, the silence of the lambs, it's, it's a cerebral and dark exploration of the human psyche yeah. uh, with a thrilling murder plot as the foundation. Now, it seems that true crime and murder mystery content has just been dominating the media market for the past few years. There's podcasts, movies, TV shows. It just never ends. What are your thoughts on true crime? Are there are they problematic at all? I used to be a big fan. Huge fan. Used to listen to a lot of the podcasts. Um, I've never really been one for the investigation discovery shows. That's not kind of in my, that's just never been my, my style. I preferred to listen to podcasts and read things. Um, and then I like fictional content like silence of the lambs. I was a criminal minds fan. And I remember that they had put out a study because when they made criminal minds, they thought the majority of the audience would be men. And, and then actually looking (laughs) at the numbers, it was predominantly women yeah um like with true crime so i think i think we're a little inundated with it i i definitely think that but i i do understand why it's become such a genre that women love so much it it is this idea of it, it's almost it's how you kind of protect yourself in a way it's how i think a lot of women feel about it that if they know about things, they can be more informed about how to stay safe out in the big scary world, you know? <laughs> yeah. Is I, I think that's a, a big thing. And I also think that as humans, we are morbid. We have a morbid curiosity about things. You know, I I love things that are strange. I Used to go to this, uh, it closed, but I was really into this Victorian mortuary shop. It was cool. <laughs> it's super macabre. That sounds it, awesome. It, it was awesome, you know? And it, it's just, we definitely have kind of, as a whole as humans, gallows humor. Yeah, that's fascinating. I So I've never been a true cr- crime fan. I mean, it hits a little close to home for me, honestly, but like I've never been a true crime fan. Um, but I, I totally get it for sure. I mean, the cautionary tales it pr- mm-hmm. provides, right? Um, my favorite murder is a very good podcast and, and I enjoy it because I love the, uh, the back and forth that the, the two gals have for, it. I, I don't know the mm-hmm. host's names, but, um, they just have uh, su- Georgia and blanking on the (laughs) (laughs) they just have such a good chemistry and it works really well and i love when they read uh people's emails and such right Mm -hmm. um and you know stay sexy and don't get murdered it it makes sense I, i i totally get it like I can understand. I just think you're right. We're inundated with so much content out there. Like the Jeffrey Dahmer Netflix show. I refuse to Ugh. watch it. I refuse to watch I'm it. I'm not watching that. But that's also, that's, you know, scripted. And the, the and okay, so here's, here's where I draw the line. 
um, and that's a good thing to bring up is who's telling the story? What's the point of it? Is this, you know, I, I believe in documentary theater. It's what I studied in college. I thought it's, you know, it's where you take a true story, you put it on the stage using real dialogue to create the script. And I think the importance of that is taking stories that are maybe not super known and bringing them to an audience to try to create change, you know, to change systems that are unfair. Um, So when it comes to true crime, there is good that's come out of it. There are cold cases that have been reopened and solved because, you know, two women in the Midwest decided that they were going to look into this case. Mm-hmm. And and now, or there's a, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but there's a woman who started a podcast because her sister was murdered uh, like 20 years ago. And the cops just completely bungled this investigation. And she was saying, the whole time, it's my dad. My dad did it. Like, listen to me. My dad did it. And after years of just cops refusing to reopen the case and listen to her, she started a podcast. Um, I think Alyssa is one of the women's names. And he was finally brought in. Yeah, Alyssa Turney. Yeah, he was brought in this year. Sarah Turney. Yeah, so there is some good out of it. But as you bring up with the Dahmer thing, this has been litigated to death and mm-hmm. you know, this isn't healing for the victim's families. It's just re-traumatizing them. We know who Jeffrey Dahmer is enough, yeah. enough with the, the obsession. We have this weird obsession with the serial killers themselves. Mm-hmm. And while I find it fascinating to read up on them, I don't give a shit about them. <laughs> Fuck them. You know, who's not yeah. hot or interesting. Ted Bundy. He yeah. was a pathetic misogynistic douchebag like great it, we need to know about them only so far as now we can catch them and if i'm gonna put out any content about it about them specifically i'm gonna make fun of them because fuck them and and you know things that are actually healing for the victims families and and doing something to shed light on something that's not known about or or a podcast that unearths, you know, the Jeffrey Dahmer who hasn't been caught and catches them, that's different. Right. Yeah, the podcast that's was my called... soapbox. <laughs> no, that was great. Thank you. The podcast is called Voices for Justice, uh, was the 2009, September 2019 podcast that you're speaking of. I 100% agree with you. Yeah. The fascination of, of the serial killer phenomenon, while I understand being, you know, cautionary and stuff like that, and I'll kind of jump into my next question because true crime, it can provide cautionary examples for us to watch out for in the real world, uh, much like the Buffalo Bill broken arm and van routine, very similar to the Ted Bundy thing. Um, I challenge this, though, by hypothesizing that maybe it's gone a little too far in providing the idea that not a single person is ever trustworthy. Is it if I'm walking outside and I just walk fast in general um, and there's a gal that's in front of me or something and I want to try to get past her? What if she pulls out and, or turns around and pulls out and pepper spray and sprays me. Is that justified? I'm, I'm just trying to walk by. She's but not like, going to do that. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying, obviously this is all worst case scenario, but should we be questioning everyone we see, even if that person is struggling? I think three. Okay. Well, it depends on, you know, who's struggling, but I think the reality of life is just for a lot of women that moving out on the street on any day is that terrifying, <laughs> you know, and that sucks to say, but I did, and just, you know, thinking about my own interactions and walking out on the street and 
and this is something a lot of women share these stories with each other. Um, I know a lot of very close friends and I have become very close friends after going out, you know, one night when we're like friendly, we're acquaintances. And then there's that night you go out, maybe drink a bit too much and then share all the stories. <laughs> and then that's, then you're bonded. And then you're like, well, now we're best friends. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. This has happened multiple times. <laughs> but our mutual friend, uh, Lauren, and I, we, we share stories all the time because in the movie we made where so much of what I wrote in that was kind of based on, on previous experiences and, and how she came to it from her own and how even though we've experienced life in very different ways, we have so many stories that are the mm. same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that relation, that commonality, that's... Yeah, you're right, and and I'll never ever be able be able to to empathize um, because I've just never been in a situation like that. Um, one thing I will say, uh, how you were talking about the serial killers and stuff. Um, the reason I don't like the serial killer love that we get on Netflix and stuff is one, I think it's just for monetary reasons, and I mm -hmm. think it's it's bullshit. And two, there are still victims that are mourning from this, um, yeah. victims' families. And 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 I personally, I've shared this on the show before, but I probably haven't shared it with you. My aunt was actually a victim of Ted Bundy. Um, oh my god! I well, was I'm glad I yeah. just yelled "fuck him." Well, no, I mean, well, <laughs> he's I, my go-to when people talk about like, oh, you know, he was attracted. I'm like, no, he wasn't. But but no, he wasn't. Yeah, but even if that's the case, it, it's just like Who cares? I, I get that. I get people thinking like, well, uh, you know, your next door neighbor could be a killer, and and sure, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But there's no there's no paradigm or set standard for what a serial killer looks like. So it's kind of just make sure you have your wits up about anybody, not just a attractive person, you know, trying to load yeah. a, cou a couch into his car or books or something like that. But when when that Ted Bundy documentary stuff, for some reason, it, it comes in waves. It and there were, there were like three or four Ted Bundy documentary like resurgences a few years back. And my cousin was like, hey, did you watch the, net the Netflix show? And I'm like, no, I did not. And so I put it on. Um, and the first episode, it, like halfway through, there is video of my grandma and my grandpa. I hadn't seen my grandpa. My grandpa passed away when I was a kid. Oh, I hadn't yeah. seen video of him or heard his voice in 20 plus years. So to see that, I was like, holy shit. And the look on my grandma's face with her just not knowing because they were being interviewed by the news them just not knowing what happened to my my aunt, I was like, I can't watch this anymore. And it it, it pissed me off. It pissed me off that Zac Efron played him yeah. and all these other things, right? But one courtesy that that Discovery ID actually did is they met they mailed me a letter and said, Hey, you know, we're so sorry for your loss, but we're we're gonna be putting this out there. Yeah, they have to they have to get the um rights to use any of that footage. Right. So yeah, it's 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 crazy shit. And and like while I understand that, again, it provides a cautionary tale, um, I just have never been able to, to, you know, curl up with a blanket and a glass of mm -hmm. wine and watch true, true crime. Criminal Minds is is that's more well, see, that's the thing. Yeah. There's catharsis in that. Sure. They, and I like catharsis because, A, it's fictional. Yes. But B, they <laughs> There's semen everywhere. <laughs> well, it's like, why is SVU so big? It, yeah. it exists in a world where cops catch rapists and believe victims yeah <laughs> you know exactly that is <laughs> catharsis why do we love rape revenge films it's catharsis yeah. um and that i enjoy you're right a lot of this and i i think to your point about something like bundy like Dahmer, it's still recent there yeah. are people still reeling from the aftermath of that versus say jack the ripper 
hundreds of years ago. Like, it's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, go with that. That's okay because it has been so long that, sure, maybe someone's like, yes, I am the direct descendant of one of his victims. 200 years later, right. this isn't, oh, yeah, my my mom grew up with this person and that she was a part of my life and we knew her. It's, yeah, no, this is like a weird fun fact of my family's macabre history, but it was so long ago. Yeah. This isn't someone any of us knew. Yeah, I like the catharsis. I like I like yeah. what you're saying. And it's 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 this kind of like the denouement in this film in the Silence of the Lambs is so good because you're like, cool, she graduates. She's she's an FBI agent. Um, I wanted to see her get like a medal or something like that, or at least be under Jack Crawford's like uh, division. I don't know. Maybe that's what happened. But then, you know, it ends on that cliffhanger like, holy shit. OK, he's, he's still around. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's that ever lurking psychotic Hannibal Lecter still mm-hmm. in the background. But. And I love mysteries. I do. I just yeah. I love mysteries. So yeah, me too. So Sir Anthony Hopkins, he does deliver arguably the most memorable and important performance of his career. Hannibal Lecter is methodical. He's intelligent. He's cunning and evil all at the same time. His mere presence and introduction instantly creates an aura of uneasiness as a viewer. What other villainous performances have you seen in film history that stand out for you? I have a few. Um, I'm going to go my first. I'm going to go with uh, Joseph Cotton in Shadow of a Doubt. Ooh. Okay. I don't think I've seen that, actually. It is a Hitchcock movie from 43. Um, I think it's one of the best Hitchcocks. Ooh. He's just so charming and slimy and creepy, but also really sexy. And you're just like, you're uncomfortable. You're really uncomfortable the whole time because you're not watching it from her perspective. You're watching it from his niece's perspective, who is slowly realizing that her uncle, who she has such a close relationship with and looks up to so much. And there's this kind of weird psychosexual dynamic between them. And you're watching her realize that he is a serial killer. Yeah, I remember you talking about this on the Haunting Podcast, I did, actually. Yes. <laughs> Oh man, Uncle Charlie. Uncle Ugh, Charlie. Even, even the name alone sounds I know. it like makes my skin crawl. It's creepy. But okay. also, um I mean, Tim Curry. Rocky <gasps> Hart. Tim I love Curry. Tim Curry. He's just a sweet <laughs> transvestite from Transsexual, Transylvania. Gotta go with him. Oh, um. he's great. I love Tim Curry <laughs> so much. He's, yeah. He's gonna be one of the celebrity deaths that when it happens, I'm gonna be like Really I know. Sad. <laughs> I'm going to be real sad about that one. But him, whenever he's a villain, is I, him in. I, this is going to be telling way too much about myself, but uh, Muppet Treasure Island. Oh, yeah. oh boy, like <laughs> villainous, but also Home Alone Two: Lost in New York <laughs> with your stolen credit card. <laughs> he's just—he's oh, so good. He's uh, great. Yeah. But yeah, he, he's a treasure. Those are—I mean—those are great villain performances for sure. Mm-hmm. It's. It's I, I love a good villain performance that just kind of lasts with you forever. And I think of like Anton Sugar from No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think that he he just had this this profound effect on me where anytime I see someone with a weird haircut, I'm just like, oh, I don't know if I trust that person now. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, Christoph Waltz uh, as Hans oh, Landa. Oh, in, in, yes. Inglorious Bastards. No absolutely. one else could have done that. Nope. That was... I him drinking a glass of milk was scary. 
Like it's, it was, and it's gross. I it hate is. when adults drink milk. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> it, it, it is weird. It's it's like ew, and just yeah. his, what he did, like taking out his pen, his how methodical he was, and oh uh, yeah, he's so he's, calm about it. I remember when we were getting ready to uh, film my film. Uh, Matt, our cinematographer, reached out and he said, "Okay, so there." And I, God, I don't remember what scene it was in our movie, but he said here's what I am kind of envisioning. Like, this is my reference point for it. And it was the strudel scene in Inglorious oh, Bastards. Yeah. Which wait, is... Wait for the cream. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of gross. Yeah. I mean, I often think a lot of food stuff on screen is really gross, but it is so unsettling. You're just sitting there with, and your stomach is in like a pit and you're just like... Even though I've seen that movie many times, I know she's walking out of there. yeah. But you second guess it because of the performance. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Same thing with uh, Kathy Bates as Annie Wilkes in Misery. I almost brought um, that one up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Not only is the hobbling scene like one of the most disturbing scenes I've ever seen in a film. She I think about her often, like le legit often. And just how what in the howdy doody are you doing? And I like she's just so like, you know, you're affable Midwest lady. And yeah. then. Oh, Not so much. I'm your number one fan. Yeah, I, yeah, she sure is. I she she gives me the heebie-jeebies, and Kathy Bates is just phenomenal. Kathy um, Bates is amazing. So good. Leo DiCaprio as Calvin Candy and Django Unchained is really good as well. I actually haven't seen that one. Uh, Louise Fletcher uh, as Nurse Ratchet. <laughs> Nurse Ratchet, yeah. Yeah, that one's fantastic. Heath Ledger, Dark Knight, always a, an amazing one. Um, I really love Daniel Day-Lewis as Bill the Butcher as well. Okay, I think that one is excellent. Um, and I would say probably uh, Anthony Perkins and Psycho. Um, oh, just yeah, that because of the of the switcheroo. You just don't know the entire film. You're like, something's up with this guy, but I don't know what's going on. And then the shocking twist, you're like, holy crap. OK, cool. That worked out really well. But yeah, there he's a good creep. The, he's a great creep. There are a lot of great performances. <laughs> so out there. many. Because so they're so fun to play. They really are. And. I'm he deserved the Oscar. I'm so glad it's and it all comes down to those those, you know, that that male gaze, that that mm -hmm. stare that he has. Um, it's terrifying. When you watch the film, I was so uncomfortable and I forgot how uncomfortable I was, you know, watching it because it's like he's looking directly at the camera. It's not a over the shoulder shot. And the the shot reverse shots are just POV, POV, POV. Mm -hmm. And you are just like, holy shit. He's like breaking the fourth wall by looking at me and I don't like it. Directly his, into you. Yeah, it's yeah. And he can look through my soul and he doesn't blink. He, he like Lecter doesn't blink. Nope. You know, and, and I, he probably read that the and I, I I know that this used to go around as kind of like a fun fact that the tell of a psychopath is someone who doesn't blink. And I'm sure he read that and said, got it. Don't totally. blink. Totally. Yeah. And he, you know, from that intro, like I was discussing, the, the brilliance of this film is in the fact that we learn about Lecter uh, with all the warnings from Shilton and Crawford um, saying, you know, don't give him any personal information. These are the rules. You have to do it. You can't give him any paperclips, blah, 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 blah. And then we're building this up, right? And we haven't even seen the guy. And then you get to the guard station 
at the cell block and it pans over shows that one guy looking up the orderly and then a guy behind a glass thing like loading armory Mm -hmm. and then the other guy who has like two jail sails that you have to open to get to the cell block and then as we go down he's like it's it's at the end he's the inmate at the end we progressively see the levels of insanity and you're like this is not lector this is not lector this is not lector but then we get the final reveal from clarice's perspective standing and he's just standing like he's waiting for her and not moving yet, hands at the side, and he's mm-hmm. like, good morning. Good morning. Dr. Lecter, my name is Clarice Starling. May I speak with you? You're one of Jack Crawford's, aren't you? I am, yes. May I see your credentials? Certainly. Closer, please. Closer. So creepy. He's smiling. I I don't like it. <laughs> That's very creepy. He is smiling. He is standing perfectly still. The other men she walks by are exactly what you expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he's just there and you're just thinking, oh shit. <laughs> oh gosh. It's 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 crazy. And I mean, like Foster, again, her performance, the mm-hmm. seriousness, the seriousness was with which uh, Demi, like you were saying, you know, it's a male director, but the seriousness he took with Starling as a main character just elevated the silence of the lambs. And it made Starling mm-hmm. just this film icon because um, just everything she did. So and Dem- that's why the movie holds up so well. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, it, it it's the kind of it set a new paradigm for like a strong female character when you're writing. Uh, you mm-hmm. can, you can make her her intelligent. You can make her beautiful. You can make her cunning. You can make her strong. You can make her do all this stuff. And Clarice was all those things in once. And it was, it was great. Um, so Demi was quoted as saying, you know, her mix of fragility, determination, and independence gave her complexity at a time when women's workplace struggles were usually depicted as comedic and broke ground for an entire generation of female characters. Um, I agree. Completely. Yeah. It's, it's, because also don't forget, we, you know, we've definitely gotten a lot of this genre of movie, Mm -hmm. and very rarely is there a woman character that's as great. Mm -hmm. You know, very often the the women are completely relegated to the sidelines. They're wives, they're women in the office who don't really do anything, or they are just the victims. And you just see their, their naked, dead, murdered bodies, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And then I'm specifically thinking of there was a movie that came out a year ago. With uh, Rami Malek and Jared Leto, and oh, there were no, there were no women. The women the, were murdered, yeah. dead bodies, and the it little, was one, the little things. I think is what it, that movie mm-hmm. sucked. It was terrible because it, it felt like it was written in the nineties mm-hmm. and was shelved, and it was. It was written in the nineties and was shelved, and then made, and they did not change the script. And the thing about it is that script did not age well. Whereas no. Silence of the Lambs, because they thought about all the shit going in aged well that that's you could write that script today yes there is gendered language you would have to change but i'm not talking about in terms of clarice starling mm-hmm. yeah i hated that movie so much <laughs> i did too it was so oh bad. god it was so it bad it was offensively bad yeah well, and it, not even just because it was offensive but also it was just bad it was it was terrible i when it ended i was like what it was and, bleak for the sake of being bleak oh. and i hate that so much. I, if you're going to be bleak, that's okay. But do something. That yeah. didn't do anything. I don't know what the mystery was. Jared Leto's a creeper. Yeah, I know that. He's a creeper in real life. 
He really is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, he's playing a serial killer? Yeah, I buy that. <laughs> he's a serial predator, so. We, we, sh- we should start a podcast. Allegedly. We say allegedly. I'll <laughs> allegedly. just say allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> Save my go. skin there. But, you know, I, yes, I buy him as a creep. Absolutely. Easy. Gosh, crazy stuff. So I do want to talk about this because so while we've been raving about this movie and I absolutely love this film, I do think it is problematic. Mm-hmm. It has issues. Yep. So the, the discussion and ideas of trans people is poorly explored, creating a negative stigma for trans individuals to be diluted down to sickos, quote unquote, or mm-hmm. confused people. Uh, that's at least what I identified as problematic. What do you think? Is this oh, film yeah. is this film fanning the flames of transphobia or is it finessing around the idea in a more uh, respectful nature? So here's the thing. I think, I don't think it's trying to be. And I I know that there are, and of course, I'm not going to fault it for the fact that they say transsexual and not transgender because it came out in the 90s and that was the proper terminology back then. You know, transgender, the words we use now only became a thing in our lifetimes. You know, the specific vocabulary that we have I remember the distinct shift because I was I was a teenager when the words changed. Um, so I'm not going to say that because if it came out now, the words would be switched to be the proper language of today. But that was the proper language of the time period. However, there are many trans people who fall on either side of the, is it bad? Is it good? Because, you know, yes, at the end of the day, there is that scene where Lecter still specifies that Buffalo Bill is not trans, just deeply confused about who is so self-loathing that he would do anything to change every aspect about himself. And I think that's really where there, where they were trying to say, see, we're not. And, you know, they give Clarice that line about how trans people are not, you know, statistically prone to being violent and that's true you know most marginal people from different marginalized communities are not statistically prone to being violent criminals but that being said it still became problematic you know it's still other people if if people can watch it and take that away from it then they didn't necessarily succeed in in their attempt to say hey we're not saying this Right. Which makes it, you know, and if we have to have this discussion where I'm saying, yes, but there is a specific scene where Lecter goes into detail about Buffalo Bill not being trans, but just being blah, blah, blah. That's where our problem lies, that that we even have to have this conversation. So, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it unfortunately created a, for lack of a better term, a meme for, for people transitioning where you just tuck your penis in mm-hmm. between yourself and you dance to Goodbye Horses. And it's like, I mean, I get what, what you, maybe the, the director Demi was trying to do with this, but it's still, this is 91 and mm-hmm. they, they, they don't depict transsexuals or, or transvestites or transgendered folk in the same way because it's not, it's not separate. Uh, definitions like you're saying it's all just kind of one thing and it, it's it's not portrayed well and and so the entire time I'm watching it when they were doing that I was like ah yeah, yeah. I don't I, I don't like this because now people are going to think that they're maybe like sycophants or something and they say they want um, to do this to skin people and literally wear their skin and I'm like man that's not mo- that's that's creating transphobia that's not mm-hmm. that's not getting the movement going um, and I know that 
Buffalo Bill is most directly influenced by the same. And, you know, it's the same argument that actually comes up when you talk about Psycho, but most directly influenced by by Ed Gein, who... Yep. And I, I think... Look, it's a, it's a tricky one. How do you kind of reshape the character? And what do you say now? Like, you would... How do you change it to be more about the boy and his mother and not a gender thing in the same way? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's... I, I I don't know. I mean, but, yeah. e- but even, you know, e- every film, there's no such thing as a perfect film. Uh, nope. e- everything is going to have their issues. And this was a product of the times. Um, had it been remade now, I think it'd be a vastly different film. But it's, it's, it's still something that is that is there. And I think it's definitely worth the conversation. I mean, I know that Demi has come on record and said, look, I'm, I'm sorry if it offended some people. That's That wasn't my in- intent. I'll try to give you reasons why. But at the end of the day, all I can do is say, I'm sorry if that's what it came out as. And I and I think Ted Levine has spoken about that too, that obviously that was not, you know, that really was not what they intended. And I think also it's that today you would bring on a consultant, you would bring on someone who right. is trans and say, how do we write this so that we are not doing this? But no one on that set or in the script writing process was. Mm-hmm. They, you know, as far as we know, are all cisgendered people. So they weren't coming with the right language to say, how do we definitively quash any possible, you know, problematicness? Absolutely, yeah. And I, I think that's why now, you know, there are people who are sensitivity readers who you could send a script to and say, hey, where are the problems that could arise and how do we fix it? Yeah, D, yeah. E, and I. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. It's why we have sensitivity readers. It's why they're intimacy coordinators. It's a great thing, but that did not exist in nope. in <laughs> the early nineties. Yeah, no, I I hundred uh, percent am glad that we're in a position where we are now, where we are questioning these things and we 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 double check on things and yeah, before we proceed because you can yeah. have the issues. So. Right, and you know when I talk about things, sure, we will all. When things are like problematic content, it's the same kind of conversation when you're talking about uh, Rocky Horror is how I'm coming to a conversation is, yeah, I'm a queer woman, but I'm also cis. So like, that's not my place to say this is or isn't offensive to a community I am not a member of. If you are talking about things that are problematic in terms of bisexual characters, yep, sure. Ask me that I I can definitively tell you what my position is on why something's bad or not. And and I have the right to say that, but I don't have the right to speak for a community that isn't mine. Yeah, exactly. It's like us white people trying to speak for the black community. (laughs) (laughs) Damn white people. We just, we suck all the time. So. Um, yeah, sometimes we Rachel Dolezal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll go further on Buffalo Bill and Hannibal because, you know, at the end of the day, they're both killers. They're they're mm-hmm. both, let's call them serial killers. Yet one could wager that we view them differently in this film. Hannibal grows on us while Bill garners no sympathy at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill's looked at as a sicko. Uh, Hannibal's looked at as the smart, intelligent, creepy guy, but he's still smart and intelligent. Are they both evil? Oh, yeah, totally. But I, I think it's easy to see why. And I, I think it's part of the movies. The way that we've watched this movie, the way that everything's been positioned, the way men interact with Clarice Starling, and the way Hannibal Lecter interacts with her is different than the other men, is that Buffalo Bill kills and skins women. 
Right. It is a specific kind of misogyny that we don't see in Hannibal Lecter. He, and yes, we know he's murdered people. We don't see his victims. We don't watch it happening. The only victims that we really know about are some incompetent policemen um, and Dr. Chilton, who we hate. Yeah, we do. <laughs> a lot of because of his misogyny. Mm-hmm. So we're cheering that on. You're not cheering on Buffalo Bill to kill Catherine Martin. No. Or any of these like really unfortunate women who came before who, you know, you see what their lives were and you feel sad. You do not feel sad about Dr. Chilton because he is such an asshole. Yep. I mean, even Buffalo Bill, was she a great big fat girl? Yeah, exactly. she, she was a He's big terrible. girl. Like, it's just like, Jesus, dude, use your adjectives. <laughs> I mean, like... Yeah, and it, I'm not gonna lie. I love his performance. I do. I love oh, him. Sure, sure. I, I mean, absolutely love him. Well, that's a hallmark of a great performance, right? If, if you have this dis- disdain for somebody, where you're mm-hmm. like, "Wow, like, good that person," and he he knocks it out of the park. It just everything he does, you know, put it puts the lotion on the skin, and you just you feel so it's disgusting. Quotable. Yeah, it's so quotable. Um, and I, I know I mentioned this to you when you brought up doing this movie that I said that, like, I'm a big fan. I have even seen the musical parody. I have the soundtrack. I know every lyric. That's so funny. It's I so good. <laughs> I wish I would have been able to see the Sounds of the Lambs musical. I've was, never even heard it was it a thing. It ran for a long time in New York, actually, and I think it originated in California. Um, a lot of the movie cast has gone to see the parody. That's like, so Jodie Foster supports the musical parody. She's seen it multiple times. That's so funny. It's I, so good. I love it. I love to hear it. And all the most quotable lines turned into songs. So Buffalo Bill is like, would you fuck me? Yeah, that's a song. <laughs> that's a song. Um, the, when multiple uh, Mig says, I can smell your cunt. Yeah, oh Hannibal God. Lecter has a song, if I could smell her cunt. <laughs> and they're amazing. <laughs> oh, boy. Oof. And that, like, so again, with the with the close up shots and the and the POV, it it it's, creates a sense of unnerving. And so, like, mm-hmm. even when they when they zoom in on Buffalo Bill's nipple with the piercing, I just oh yeah, I hate that that scene when he just like kind of flicks it. It's just so and I love intense that scene. and visceral, <laughs> and I'm just like, oh god, I don't I don't like it. <laughs> I know I love that scene. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so interesting. I mean, I like the song a lot. Goodbye Horses. I can't think of anything else other than him just dancing to that when he, you know, when it comes on. And so it's been parodied and stuff and various things. And it's, it's kind of funny, but um, it's still a very, you know, morose scenes for sure. So yes. And she's screaming in the background. I no, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't like it. And Precious comes down, or whatever her name is. Yeah, yeah pre- it's Precious. It's Precious. <laughs> Pretty cute dog, but yeah. oh, so cute. I remember uh, reading some interview uh, about this movie. It was the actress who plays Catherine Martin. Mm-hmm. Oh God, what's her Brooke something? Yeah, Brooke. I have it written down. I think I wrote. I, I said her name for the yeah um, uh, at, at the start. Her name is Brooke um, Brooke Smith. Yes, and so she was saying how when. Because obviously it was just her and Ted Levine on set for mm-hmm. a lot of, of their, I mean, almost all of their characters. That's It's just the two of them. And she's down in this hole. <laughs> and like, it, it's kind of traumatic and how he was just kind of like this big brother to her in between every take. <laughs> and just like a very good presence to have around that he was like very sweet and taking care of her. Like, are you okay? I know this is a lot to film. Mm-hmm. Ugh. 
That'd be so weird to have to turn that off. <laughs> um, Amanda, that's all the questions I have for, <laughs> for this. And uh, that was a ton of fun. So I want to get your hottest take. And you can defend uh, one hottest take from, from this movie, from a movie of this genre, from actors, from ideas behind this era, whatever you want, a hottest take. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I've been debating all day whether to admit this. <laughs> Ooh, juicy. This is juicy. I don't know it's a hot take, but it's a Amanda, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> and there are many of those. But, um, <laughs> and yet he's god awful. Don't get me wrong. And I'm going to blame Ted Levine and his performance on this one, but I'm kind of attracted to him. Wow. <laughs> wow. God, that's my hot take. It's terrible. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Why don't you just get back there and get, I don't know get why. I don't know why, but I am, and I'm just like, you know what? Fine, fuck it. Interesting. I that know, is, it's, it's a bad one. That is, that is fascinating. I mean, Ted, <laughs> Ted Levine, he, he he's great, and and like his voice. I mean, I so the Hills Have Eyes remake um, that came out in like 2004. Um, I love that movie, and he's in it too. And he has that iconic voice where it's kind of you know lower because he's yeah. lover, you know um he's great in that movie we've seen oh, I've, him in, yeah i've seen him in other things he's wonderful absolutely he usually plays a cop for some reason i know um but he just you know this is probably one of his more memorable performances and he does a great job we talked about villains he does he a great job for it yeah and when he we obviously omnipresent as a viewer know like Clarice do not go in that house. He is mm-hmm. the killer, but he's like, why don't you come in? I have her son's card. And it's like, Oh shit. Like this is not going to go good. So creepy. <laughs> I think I just find him really fun. Interesting. Like evil, horrible. Don't get me wrong. You know, if I met this man in person, I would run the other fucking way. But I just think there's something I guess fun about him. He he, he he's yeah. I, I mean I, <laughs> I I think I kind of get what you're getting at, but I'm still like so irked. By him. He, he, he's one of those people that if I met because I'm pretty intuitive. If I met him in person, like out in the real world, I would be like I don't want to talk to this person. I have a very va- bad vibe from him. But yeah, but I, I kind of get what you're saying in a certain sense like very slightly so (laughs) it's you know what i i think i actually know what it is um and i think it kind of goes back to a a lot of the music that i kind of grew up liking and a lot of Mm -hmm. the bands um and it is when he he does that scene where he's in the kimono and he's naked and (laughs) He's just kind of like flamboyantly dancing and it reminds me a lot of the old like rockers that I very mm-hmm. into and it's that kind of like fun of it. Nice. Yeah. Love it. That's that's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> that's a that's a hot take. I dig it. <laughs> I know. That's yep. <laughs> okay. What's your hot take? I you know, I I was thinking about it and I'm thinking that this movie, oh man, it might break it might break my top fifteen, honestly. I just Oh yeah. I, I when I when I rewatch it, I was captivated the entire time, even though I knew what was going to happen. And again, with with the male gaze like I've been hammering home, we we see that at the end with Buffalo Bill putting on night vision goggles and literally gawking at Clarice and almost toying with her as he sees her before he's about to kill her. He had, you know, he had the upper hand. He could have just shot her right there, but him trying to reach out and because touch her he hair. Had to toy. 
it's it's that 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 sense of power that we think as men that we have and him looking at her struggling it's just like oh my god yeah. i felt so uncomfortable for He's so many underestimating how much she is paying attention and there yeah there are so many moments in this like i just said too where she she goes into the house and i'm like clarice get the fuck out of there you i it it has set a precedent for me for other films. Like I just, I just watched Barbarian, which was fantastic. Oh, don't tell me anything. I, I haven't I won't, seen it yet. I'm not going to say anything because okay. you, you need to go in completely blind. That's, yep, that's um, the goal. So I know that, it's on HBO Max oh, now, and so good. Um, so that one, and then there was another one recently that I watched, uh, Black Black Phone. I think is what it's called. Oh, yeah, um, is that the the Ethan, Ethan Hawke one? Yeah, and there are, there that, are yeah. moments when you're just like. You just, I, I, I'm, I watched it alone and I'm just like tapping my feet and rubbing my legs and I'm like, oh my God, even though I know how this is going to end, I hate watching this because my anxiety was just building up. And like, it's because of Jodie Foster. She's so good. And I, I think I was just blown away with how much I, I forgot Jodie Foster was amazing because she's been kind of so quiet good. for the past few years. She's mm-hmm. more directing things now, but holy buckets. She is just phenomenal. And oh, I, so yeah, talented. I love the shit out of her and I want, more and more from from her like as much as possible for that <laughs> um so let me get your final thought and your letter grade on this film okay i love this movie i do um we're not talking about the problematic no. bit in terms of rating so i'm going to <laughs> ignore that um right now just because it's such a thing to unpack and we're not going to solve it yeah. um but i do love this movie and i think in terms of cinematically structure characters cast it's phenomenal i've seen it so many i don't know how many times and it always works so i'm gonna give it an a absolutely i agree with you completely the pacing the acting the dialogue the cinematography Mm -hmm. the tension the climax and the denouement is like oh god it's It's it is it is how you make a film um, there's a reason why it kind of swept the Oscars in, in 91, 92, whatever. Um, yeah, I absolutely love this movie and I think everyone needs to see it and just be terrified. Um, it's it's yeah. creepy. It's, it's really so fucking creepy, creepy. And I it love that. It is so creepy. I did not think I would be that creeped out by watching it. And I was just like, I had to kind of like decompress and watch some funny YouTube stuff. I know. I've seen it so many times and I'm still creeped out. I just... I, I just felt gross. Like I just yeah, felt I like I needed to shower skin. or something. Like I just felt gross. And I love <laughs> that. I love that the movie, you know, was able to draw that out of me uh, to evoke that emotion. So yeah. it was it was so fascinating. Um, OK, well, cool. Is there a movie that you want to let me know about that you're excited for or what I should be watching now? Yeah, so I've been watching actually it's an old series, but I've been watching the Thin Man series. Oh, interesting. They're all on HBO Max, except for the fifth one. I don't know why, but there are six movies. It stars William Powell and Myrna Loy. Um, it's about a retired detective and his wife who kind of gets swept back up into investigating murders that just seem to happen, wherever they are. Um they're comedies and they are just such a good couple. It is such a good, <laughs> it's, it's just so much fun. Like they're an old married couple who love each other. They really like each other and they, 
you know, they make fun of each other and they have this great banter. Um, admittedly, they are extreme alcoholics. <laughs> oh, yeah, total alcoholics. Um, but they, they have this recurring gag throughout all of the movies where they'll be kind of investigating something and a whole bunch of men will kind of be around them and make comments about like, oh, you know, like, uh, he was such a it's Nick and Nora Charles. Those are the characters. And like, oh yeah, Nick was such a player and not knowing that they're talking to his wife and be like, oh, you're the new like flavor of the month. And she doesn't get annoyed. She plays along. (laughs) So the amount of times that people think he's like having an affair with someone, he's like, yeah, there's a girl in the next room and it's just his wife. (laughs) And it's always her. And she completely like, she goes out and flirts too. So they make fun of each other's like, they don't care about each other's past romances. They're together now. Aww. And it's so much. And, and there's in one of the movies, uh, there are these detectives trying to like rile her up. So they're listing off a bunch of, of ex-girlfriends of her husband's. And she's just sitting there like, uh-huh. Oh, yes. Very interesting. And then as he's going along investigating this case, she's trailing him and giving fake names at every venue. And they're always the names of the girlfriends. Oh, man. <laughs> and she's just like, oh, hi, it's funny to run into you here. Oh, boy. They're so good. I love them. <laughs> hashtag, so, hashtag couple goals right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, my fiance and I actually act pretty similar. We don't drink that much. But the way that they kind of like joke and make fun of each other when they're in situations pretending not to know each other we've done that we're just like we love them they're great (laughs) (laughs) so that's my recommendation excellent the 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 thin Thin man Man. movies yeah on hbo max awesome Mm -hmm. they have a great selection of tcm films so that is yeah i've I do so many of them. Cool. I love it. Um, I watched everything everywhere all at once. Uh, have you seen it? Not yet. (gasps) My, uh, I've, I've been told I need to, I just haven't yet. So I was also told by everyone and their mother, people who don't, don't even really watch movies told me and they're like, I can't believe you haven't seen it yet. But I, I, I told them I was waiting for streaming because I missed it in theaters. And then it's not really streaming. So I found it uh, for Black Friday sale for 10 bucks on in 4k and I'm like, perfect, bought it, watch it last night. I was blown away. I was crying. I was like on the edge of my seat. I was so incredibly impressed. It's, it's, it's my favorite film of the year. Um, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it, and I, I cannot stop thinking about it. It is such a beautiful film. It's so well done. I, I, I just want to shout it from the rooftops. I hope it sweeps the Oscars, like for for what those are worth. You know, yeah. Mich- Michelle Yeo. <laughs> Michelle Yeo is just incredible in it. Um, gives the performance of her lifetime. I, I don't know her other performances other than you know like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, mm-hmm. and things, but. I just felt like I was there with her, and she just really left a profound impact on me and. I thought it was so beautiful and so well done, but I was like by myself. I'm like, why am I crying? But I realized it just moved me to tears. And that's, that's a hallmark. That's a good sign. Yeah. Oh my God. Hallmark. And I couldn't stop. There were so many moments when I was like, why the fuck am I crying right now? Oh my God. I know. I've been told by so many people to watch. (laughs) Visually the VFX and and the SFX are just so cool in this film. And it's funny. It's stupid, but it's serious. And it just really, really hits home. Um, so yes, everything, everywhere, all at once. I implore everybody in the world to watch it. It's so good. <laughs> you know what I really want to see that just came out? I want to see the menu. I've heard that looks. I've heard that was good. That looks, I've heard that, that too. Looks it cool. looks so much fun. Yeah, I, yeah. It it just, it looks like it's up my alley. 
Yes, exactly. It looks, and and like, I, I'm taking the less is more approach. I, I don't want to know anything about same. it. I just want to go into it and be like, what the fuck just happened? I'm just assuming that it's going to be kind of darkly funny and unsettling and creepy and gross. And mm-hmm. I am so here for it. Me and too. And it's a great cast, you yeah. know? Oh, so, so good. Anya Taylor-Joy, uh, Ray mm-hmm. Fiennes, and uh, Holt, Nicholas Holt. So. Yes. And this is also probably one of those movies where I'm I'm probably more attracted to the guy I'm not supposed to be attracted to and less attracted <laughs> to Nicholas Holt, who I'm supposed to be attracted to. <laughs> you like that Voldemort skin, right? Apparently. <laughs> I mean, not in those movies. No, I, I, I like noses, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Harry Potter, come back to Hogwarts. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, okay, Amanda, oh, my God, so much fun. Thank you so much for joining me again. Uh, you're always welcome back. This is such a blast. We have very good discourse, and I love it. Where can we find you on the social medias? I my handle is at Amanda Jane Stern on Twitter, Instagram. Now Hive because I don't know what's going on with Twitter. So that's true. I created a Hive account. So Amanda Jane Stern, and yep, those are the socials. <laughs> that Elon Musk is a real piece of shit. I tell you. God. So. <laughs> uh. so I guess we'll we'll find out what happens. So, but th- <laughs> thank you so so very much. Uh, it's been a blast. And thank you, everyone else. Thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter, if it's still around, <laughs> at DVCrazyPod <laughs> and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts. You can give us film suggestions, tell us if we're crazy, or just send us funny memes. I love memes. I love to laugh. Just make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Additionally, we're also available on every other major podcast app. Thank you for listening, and until next time, don't be crazy.